welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are going to be sharing about Christmas Unwrapped, which is simply a study on the first two chapters of Luke, looking at the events surrounding the birth of Christ. So far, last week we looked at um, part one, history or fantasy, where Pete looked at the number of witnesses, the reliability of the witnesses, and Luke's credibility as a historian to set up everything that we want to share. Because let's face it, when you're talking Christmas, you are talking about some pretty bizarre things that are going on. And we're going to look at one of those bizarre things in just a little while. And so we thought it would be good if we just set the platform that this account of uh, the events surrounding the birth of Christ could um, be established on a credible foundation. And so we saw that there was many, many witnesses. It wasn't just one man's thought. It wasn't just some guy who was desperate to believe that these events to be accurate. There were many witnesses and they were credible witnesses, as was the writer of the book of Luke. He was a credible witness himself. Says at night, talked about God preparing the way and looked at prophecy. There are some 400 prophecies surrounding the birth of Christ and every one of them came to pass. Says looked at three of those. And here's the great thing. If everything about Christ and His first coming came to pass, how much confidence can we place in all the prophecies about the second coming of Christ? coming to pass. I have no problem believing that Jesus Christ will return to planet earth. Why? Because everything about his first coming came to pass. Some of the detail was phenomenal and it came to pass. How much more the second coming of Christ. Please feel free to download those messages on iTunes or go to our website and download them and it's all available free of charge. Today, part three, we're going to be looking at the virgin birth. The virgin birth. And if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We want to look at this particular subject. This is a subject that creates sniggers, jeers, jokes and much discussion. And we're going to talk about that today. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Pete's going to be looking at angels tonight. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Isn't it amazing? Most people I speak to would love an angel to come and visit them. I remember I said, how would you like an angel to come and visit you and say, greetings, you are highly favoured. You'd think you'd be over the moon. In actual fact, every time you see an angel visiting anyone, they tend to freak out. And Mary was no exception. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I don't know about you, but when you hear about virgins getting pregnant, it's hard to believe. I mean, if someone comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, but I haven't had sexual intercourse with anybody, just think about that for a moment, how that sounds. I mean, anyone in their right mind is going to roll their eyes and say, you know, sure. But here's a young girl, probably aged between 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there, saying, I've never had sexual intercourse with a man and I'm pregnant. No matter what you believe about that, it creates great discussion. And I want to look at what the virgin birth highlights to us today. The first thing that the virgin birth highlights for us today is this, that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God and nothing is impossible with God. Mary says, how can it be? I'm a virgin. How can I give birth to a son? And maybe your response is the same as Mary's. How can this be? And the answer was simply this, because nothing's impossible for God. What you believe will determine your worldview. Your worldview is the lens through which you see and interpret the world around you. In other words, what you believe will determine how you behave. You've got to catch this this morning. If you believe in God and you believe that there was nothing and God spoke the world into existence, it's very easy for you to believe that God can impregnate a virgin. I mean, it's not hard for the Christian to believe in the virgin birth because if God created the world, and all that is in it, surely the easiest thing in the world is to be able to impregnate a virgin. But if you don't believe in God and you don't believe that this is at all possible, then what you're left with is a scenario that there is no God. And if there is no God, you have to ask yourself, how did we get here? And here are the two ultimate scenarios. One, there was nothing and God spoke. Option number two, 
there was nothing and it exploded. Hence evolution. One is based on creation. God said and there was. Takes faith to believe that. But it also takes faith to believe that there was nothing and nothing exploded and became an atom. And then an atom exploded and became slime and slime became a toad and a toad became a monkey and a monkey became a human, etc., etc., etc. Over billions of years. One is not religion and the other is science. They are both require faith to believe. And I for one find it easier to believe that there was a God who spoke as opposed to nothing and nothing exploded. If you believe there was nothing and exploded, I think it's easy to believe that God could impregnate a virgin. So who's the mad ones now? (laughs) How you view what you view ultimately comes down to what we believe. If we believe there's a God and He's a God of order, and he says to do certain things because it's going to bring order and to stay away from certain things it's going to keep that order. It makes sense. But without that, anything goes. One thing that bothers me about the evolutionary thinking is the inconsistency of the argument. Evolutionary thinking is based upon survival of the fittest. Basically, And yet when things begin to happen a certain way, we complain that that's not fair. And so you can't have it both ways. Some people think that uh, Christians are narrow-minded and and they should be open to same-sex marriages. But if you believe in a God who created the world and said do certain things and don't do certain things, at least our argument is consistent as opposed to swapping and changing and changing and swapping our argument all the time. We've got to settle at the end of the day, what is it that we believe? And you can't just get away with, I don't know what I believe. If you don't know what you believe, you need to do some homework and find out what it is that you actually believe. Because I realise that the virgin birth is hard to believe. But it's no harder than nothing exploded into something. Hey, let's not just you know, allow people to put on us that as Christians we are brainwashed. It is true that we are brainwashed, but then again, everybody is. Every one of us is brainwashed with something or someone's indoctrination. It makes sense for me as a Christian to believe that God was there in the beginning before anything else existed. And because He is omnipotent and omniscient, He's all-knowing and He's all-powerful and He's ever-present, He's able to speak the world into existence with all of its planets and its stars and its clouds and its birds and its bees and the trees and everything else. At least my thinking, virgin birth is consistent with a God who's able to do the impossible. Does that make sense? 
And so for me, the virgin birth highlights the fact that God is able to do the impossible. Turn the uh, the thing off, which is great. Secondly, it highlights this, that Jesus is fully God. Mary was impregnated, not because she had a sexual encounter, but because she had a spiritual one. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What does that mean for Mary? What does that mean for us? It means that this child who was to be named Jesus did not have the same DNA as every other human being. He did not have sin in his DNA. He was uncontaminated. Why is that important? If Jesus was not fully God, he could not atone for the sins of the world. The Bible says it this way in Romans 3 verse 23, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me explain it this way to you. When I was a young budding apprentice learning the trade of sign writing, I was taught certain things. I was taught how to mix colours. I was taught that white and red make pink. And I'll never forget this one day, I was asked by Dad, who is doing a job for a client, to do their logo. Now their logo wasn't just any pink, it was a certain type of pink. And because I had been taught how to make pink, I got my white paint and my red paint. My white paint looked something like this. You all know the colour white. There's only one white, right? And so I was pouring white into the red, mixing it. And yeah, I got a kind of a pinky colour, but it was nothing like the pink that I was trying to mix. And I got more and more frustrated. And I put more white in and it got a lighter shade of the dirty pink that I didn't want. Then I put more red in and it went to a darker, dirtier shade of the pink that I didn't want. Then I put more white in and it got lighter shade of the dirty pink that I didn't want. Then I put more red in and it got a darker shade of a dirty pink that I didn't want. And I had all this paint that I didn't want. I said, Dad, I don't get it. I was told white and red make pink. Why can't I get that pink? And he said this to me, he said, what white are you using? I said, there's only one white, I'm using white. And I showed him the white paint I was using. Now this white paint that I was using wasn't as white as I thought it was. Because over a period of time, a whole heap of other colours had splashed into it. And against red and against yellow and against green, against other colours, it looked white. They said, oh, there's your problem. You're using the wrong white. And I'm thinking, what do you mean the wrong white? There's only one white, right? He goes, no, no, you need pure white. I said, what do you mean? And then he showed me my white against pure white. Have a look at this. There's a big difference. The white I was using had a whole heap of black 
and red and yellow and green in it. And it made a dirty grey colour. I didn't know that against green. I didn't know that against yellow. I didn't know it against blue. But it was obvious to me against white. See, the problem with humanity is we've all sinned. And it's hard to know how bad we are when we compare ourselves to one another. My white looked really good against yellow. And my life can look really good against some of you. I mean, some of you make me look really good. You do. I, I want to thank you for that. You do. You make me look like the ultimate Christian. I mean, look at Evan laughing. <laughs> Emmerich over here, Maddie. I mean, there's some people, this just make me look great. And then there's others I stand against, like Pete, and I wonder if I'm even saved. <laughs> and so what the tendency is, is to hang around those that are a little bit dirtier than you. Because we feel better about ourselves. But it's not wise to compare ourselves amongst others. The Bible says we've all sinned against God, who is pure white, who is pure perfection. And if there was going to be a man that could redeem mankind, he needed to be a pure man. He needed to be of pure seed. And so Joseph's seed... Although he was a good man, he wasn't good enough. It needed to be God himself, God's DNA in that woman. That that we could start with the right foundation, that we could start with the right white. And Jesus is that right white. He's that pure white. Let me look at it one more way, just because some of you think, and I think I get it. Water is, an essential, is essential for living. They say you can go weeks, if not months, without food. I don't know who said that, but I, I'm, I'm led to believe it's true. I, anyway, just thinking about food makes me hungry. Even the thought of that makes me hungry. But anyway, you can go weeks, if not months, without food. But you can only go days without water. Water is essential for life. Yeah? Water, water, they're both water. Water is essential for life. Here, have a drink. Who wants a drink? The answer is water. But the problem, if the water is contaminated, it can do more harm than good. You can get sick and even die through drinking contaminated water. The biggest problem in Africa is not just the lack of water, it's the lack of clean, pure, drinkable water. So the answer is not just water, it has to be pure water. The answer to mankind's problem isn't just a man, not just any man, it's a pure man. Humanity needed a pure man, a holy man. A man that had no sin in his DNA, who had done no wrong. And so God devised this incredible plan to impregnate a woman, 
untouched by another man with his own seed, his own DNA. Jesus, through the virgin birth, was fully God. Thirdly, not only was he fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. He was fully God, he was fully man. If Jesus was not fully man, he would not qualify as a rightful substitute. And as a man, he was subject to human weakness and limitations. As a man, he had to grow and develop. As a man, he had a human mind with which he had to learn. He had to learn to walk. Imagine that Jesus, who was fully God, confined himself to a human being and he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. There was a day where Mary heard those first words, Mummy. Think about it. He had to learn to speak. Jesus, as a man, had to learn to read. It wasn't like he came out fully God and just as a baby in the manger started reading the scriptures. Jesus needed somebody as a babe in a manger to change his bottom. You, you got to get this. He was fully God and yet he was fully man. He had to learn to read and write. He was a man who had a soul and emotions. The shortest scripture in the Bible is two words, Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. Jesus felt things deeply. When the rich young ruler went away sad, I believe Jesus was also sad for him. Jesus had emotions. He had feelings. He had a soul and he even had a will. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, oh, yet not my will but your will be done. He had to learn because he had a mind, soul, emotions, and he had a will. And all of those things could have taken him off track. While he was born from different seed and while he had a perfect foundation, he had to walk the walk that you and I walked. Why? that he could identify with us. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter four. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. The thought of Jesus being portrayed as a weak, insipid, namby-pamby person that never lived in the real world and understood the struggles that we go through is to mo totally misunderstand what Jesus Christ did and what He came to do. 
Everything you and I have been tempted with, Jesus himself was tempted with. And that's what makes him the perfect substitute for us. That while he was fully God, he chose to put his deity to one side and walk out his life as a man. And so instead of succumbing as we do, he was able to overcome. When you look at what Jesus did and and some of the events that he faced, and he never abused one situation. You think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. He basically saved her life. I don't know about you, but that young lady would have been so indebted to Jesus And Jesus could have taken full advantage of her. I believe he would have been putty in her hand and yet he never took advantage of her. He was tempted with hunger in the desert, hadn't eaten for 40 days. And the devil says, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn those rocks into stone? He's tempted, but he overcomes. He's tempted with sleep deprivation. I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, I'm at my worst. Jesus at his tiredest. When all the other disciples are falling asleep, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is alive and awake. There's never been a man like him. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. There's a story written by a man by the name of John Howard Griffin. And he was a white man that believed he could never understand the plight of the African-Americans unless he became like one. And so in 1959, he darkened his skin with medication, sun lamps and stains, and then travelled throughout the South of America. And he wrote this book, Black Like Me. And that helped the whites to better understand the humiliation and the discrimination faced daily by the black people in America. This is not too dissimilar to what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus left the splendor of heaven and came to planet earth and endured the same conditions, if not harsher, than you and I have had to walk that he could identify with us. In concluding, the virgin birth was God's ingenious plan of solving an otherwise impossible dilemma. Because only man would make a suitable substitute. But only God could actually do what was required. The virgin birth is proof of both his humanity and his deity. Through the virgin birth, we see that Jesus was not only eligible, but that he qualified to act as our substitute. He was eligible because he was of the offspring of a woman. And he was free from the moral corruption that plagues the rest of us. The Bible says it this way, he was without sin. He was qualified as our substitute 
through His absolute obedience while on earth and because of His voluntary refrain from using His divine power. People talk about God and getting to God. And to me, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Religion is all about getting to God. Christianity has none of that and will have nothing to do with that. Christianity is not based upon trying to get to God. It's the exact opposite. Religion tries to get to God. Christianity is about God coming to man. Religion is about trying to be good enough. And if I could just stop swearing, if I could just stop smoking, if I could just be a better person, and before we know it, we're swearing and smoking and kicking the cat one more time. God help me. Oh, you know what I mean. So oh, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And we try and we try. And... Kick, kick, kick. Swear, swear, swear. Lie, 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 cheat, 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 steal, 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 gossip, gossip, gossip. Never ceases to amaze me that we talk about homosexuality as if it's like the unpardonable sin. And and right there in Romans 1 where it addresses homosexuality, it addresses gossip and slander. Same lot. Got these people with their placards, God hate homosexuals and they're gossiping and slandering, thinking that they're better. That's religion. One-upmanship on somebody else's weakness. Jesus will have none of it. Jesus looked down and says, you're all as bad as each other. There's only one way that you can get help and that's Jesus coming down. That's exactly what he did. Jesus left the splendor of heaven. C.S. Lewis says it this way. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into the black and cold water, through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then back up again, back to colour, and light, his lungs almost bursting until suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. That dripping, precious thing is you and I. And Christmas is that time when we celebrate him coming down to us. Christianity is for a bunch of wimps. You're absolutely right. But it's more than that. It's for a bunch of wimps that know they're wimps and recognise that their best efforts are never going to be good enough. And it's that wimpy person recognising that not good enough 
and doing one of the strongest, most courageous things of all, humbling themselves and asking for help and receiving the greatest gift of all. Christianity starts in weakness and ends in strength. Religion starts in strength. I can do it and ends in weakness. Oh, I stuffed up again. That's how religion always ends. Starts in strength. I can do it. I'll never smoke again. I'll never swear again. I'll never gossip again. I'll never do wrong again. I will do it right this time, God. I'll show you. I'll prove to you that I'm good enough. Always starts in strength and ends in sucky weakness. Christianity is the exact opposite. Starts in weakness. Can't do it. Not good enough. Not strong enough. I'm not controlled enough. Left to my own devices. Whatever my natural tendency is, it's going to lead me down a path that is far from God. And maybe some of you don't smoke. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, I hope the smokers heard that this morning, Tony. You've totally missed the point. (laughs) I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. You can tell by my pathetic (laughs) attempt. (laughs) Hang on, what what, 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 is it? That... (laughs) Uh, that's, that's smoke rings right there. I've never smoked, but I have seen people doing it. I've never smoked a joint, taken a pill, or done drugs of any sort. With the exception of Panadol and those kind of things, just for the... Never been drunk. Have the occasional beer, but I've never been drunk. But oh, there's so many areas of my life I struggle with. Never struggle with gambling, never struggle with drunkenness, never struggle with drugs, never struggle with tobacco. I haven't. But I've struggled in other areas. And I don't have enough time to tell you all those areas. You'd just be like, oh my gosh. If I went through my list, you'd feel really good about yourselves. I've got so many issues in my life, it's not funny. But it's recognizing that and coming to Jesus. So, will you help me? Starts in weakness, and with Christ at work in your life, it ends in strength. And there's some things I find that I could never do before, and now I can. 17 years leading this church, and I can honestly stand before you having been hurt and upset and abandoned, abused and betrayed, and yet to have love toward people. I don't have unforgiveness toward anyone that I know of. And there's been countless opportunities. That's not because I'm a strong person. It's because I have a God who's able to do the impossible. And he can grab a red-blooded, hot-tempered man like myself. And bring peace. And put in me a stickability that when I felt like running in the natural, 
I've been able to hang around. If God's real proved to me exists, the fact that I can stay in the same church for 17 years in a leadership position. Leader in the original, this is what leader means in the original Greek, to be abused regularly. That's what leadership is. (laughs) And to be abused regularly and have a fondness and a love for people can only be God. I love you guys. The ones that get me and and shower me with encouragement, I love you. Those that don't get me and don't understand me and are ticked off, I I love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. Don't know if you'll be coming around for Christmas, but I'm going to love you anyway. (laughs) But God. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.